uh, concept that we've seen throughout this chapter. It's a concept we'll see in our passage tonight, God calling sinners to himself. 1 Corinthians 1, 26, this is God's word. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We read that far from God's word. In 1979, at a reception honoring a musician, Sir Robert Mayer, on his 100th birthday, an elderly British upper-class woman named Lady Cooper fell into conversation with another woman who seemed friendly and seemed to already know Lady Cooper quite well, and Lady Cooper's aging and failing eyesight prevented her from recognizing her fellow guest as they were talking until she peered more closely at the magnificent diamonds and suddenly realized she was casually chatting with Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, overcome with embarrassment, uh, Lady Cooper curtsied and stammered, Ma'am, oh, oh, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry, ma'am, I, I didn't recognize you without your crown. And the queen replied, Well, tonight was so much uh, Sir Robert's evening that I decided to leave my crown behind. I don't know if it strikes Americans uh, as significant that the queen would go to a social event, not wear her crown, but it is a significant act of humility. Too often we lack this humility in our own walk with Christ in God's kingdom. Christ is the true king, and he has come to save us and to call us to be in his kingdom. So that brings us to our main point, see your calling. Understand the deep lesson and remember it. See that we were nobodies with nothing to offer God, verse 26. See that we inexplicably were the ones called by God, verses 27 and 28, and see that there's no room for boasting. All glory to God alone, verses 29 to 31. So let me read verse 26 again to us as the start of this passage. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. Often when Paul approached the church in Corinth or other churches, for that matter, in his letters about some difficult topic, Paul would write this reassuring and warm word, brothers. We could read it as, Brothers and sisters, sometimes perhaps in the King James it's translated brethren. It refers to both male and female believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you could read it. Um, But that's not the hard part. Are you ready for the hard part? The reason he used that warm word to warm them up to the difficult thing he has to say, the potentially offensive part? Uh, Paul's gearing up to say something true and something necessary, but not likely to be received as a compliment. You ready? Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. He's asking them to consider their calling, to to contemplate something here, to really think this through. Consider your calling. What is it that they were to think through or contemplate? What is it about their calling 
Well, as we had studied in the previous passage, God calls through the preaching of the cross, and God defines what is wise and what is foolish. They were called into fellowship with God, if you go all the way back to verse 9. And they were called into fellowship with other believers. They were called to be holy. We studied this throughout chapter 1. All that's review. What's new here in verse 26, what Paul's pushing for the Corinthians to consider about their status or their condition is what it was prior to the call of God upon their lives. Consider your calling from what you were to what you are now. Consider what you were before. That's what he wants them to consider, to think that through. What were they in the past? And how did that potentially impact God's decision to call them? Were they wise? Is that why God condescended to call them? To bring such wise people into his church. He needed wise people in the church in Corinth. Is that why they were called by God? No. Not many of you were wise, he said. Oh, they were powerful. Were you powerful? Is that why... God had called them, no. Were they from good families and good stock? Maybe a good race, a strong ethnic group, maybe good parentage? Was one of those the reason why God called them? No. Wait, do you realize all that Paul is asking the church in Corinth to admit about themselves now? Most of the members of the church in Corinth lacked the things of this world, the the things we call verification, certification, all such items of authentication normally found on a resume. You wouldn't want somebody who's not properly certified to be working on your appliances, for example, your car. And the members of the church in Corinth were not carrying the degrees of well-educated people, not carrying the influences of powerful people, not carrying the pedigree of thoroughbred people not trained up in the finest homes, the finest schools, the finest communities. Most of the people in the church in Corinth were not graduates of the ancient equivalent of our Harvard University or our Yale University. The believers in Corinth were not owners of international businesses or were not the prized graduates of the special schools for those next in line to become kings and queens and princes and princesses. The church in Corinth didn't have many He keeps saying many, not many of you, not many of you. If they had any, they didn't have many. High-ranking government officials, most of the people in the Corinthian church were what then? Dare I say it out loud in public? They were ordinary. (laughs) Ordinary people. Oh no. Yes, ordinary in terms of education, in terms of personal success, in terms of personal background. They were unimpressive, regular folk, ordinary. They were lacking that little asterisk that's next to your name in a long list of people to watch, people to track, because they're upwardly mobile, future leaders. You know, I've been circling around the point for a little while now. (laughs) Allow me to be more blunt. For the most part, the Corinthian church was a group of nobodies. (laughs) There, I've said it. I've actually put it in the title. God chose nobodies. Why would Paul start this paragraph by pointing this out to them? Why would he say it at all? Why would he say it in the very first chapter in his letter to them? Well, it's because of what had been happening in the church in Corinth. They were getting prideful. They needed to be humbled. 
Their pride was leading them to divide from one another. That sort of divisiveness prevented them from unifying. And Paul's teaching by, by reminding them they didn't have the world's resume. He's reminding them they can't take pride in educational degrees or accomplishments, such as reading books, writing books, writing articles, getting diplomas. That he can't take pride in economic accomplishments, such as building businesses, buying and selling, growing businesses, become financially powerful people. They couldn't take pride in social status, uh, being a, a certain family or being part of a certain training or a certain background, not wise, not powerful, not of noble birth, not people to look up to, people to wow about. They were not chosen by God because God had a need for people like you, the noble, the, pride, the, the proud, the, the well-educated, to contribute something to the church. We really need you. They were not chosen because of that. Sometimes I fear that uh, Christians start to daydream, oh, if only we had two billionaires that would just be converted and would just contribute, you know, 90% of their income to the church worldwide. How much more we could accomplish for the kingdom. Think what we could publish and the number of missionaries we could send. And Christians sort of daydream about those things. Or, Or they think about the other realm here of noble birth. What if we had an extremely famous person who used to be living like a wicked pagan and now they're converted and they truly desire to live for Christ? Or what if we had some famous sports figure, some famous, oh, I don't know, musician who can change economies for whole nations, we're being told. But what if that musician were to be converted? I think Christians daydream about these things in a very unhelpful manner. What Paul is clarifying for us here, helpfully, is that all these people have nothing to offer God. They have nothing to offer God's church. God is not without resources unless we get so-and-so musician star, so-and-so Hollywood star, so-and-so congressman or congresswoman. God does not need 10 rich and famous authors, sports stars, 10 famous influential congressmen or women, 10 billionaires to enter his church in order for the funding of God's work and the advancement of his kingdom to continue. What do we think? The church around the world today is similar to the church in Corinth when you really look at it. Should I say it out loud? The whole church worldwide runs along the lines of nobodies. Not many famous, not many multi-billionaires, not many uh, often government, often other fields see that we're nobodies. Nothing to offer God. It's humbling. There's a lot of truth to it. It's Paul's message here, and it's true for the church in places other than in Corinth. We move to our second point. He follows us up now in verses 27 and 28 by showing that inexplicably we are the ones called by God. Verse uh, 27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Here Paul shows the Corinthians a window into the very work of the Almighty God in building his church. God calls people. We've been studying the word calling throughout our chapter. God calls people. He chooses people. He draws them. But it's more than just don't be over there, be over here. Don't be out there, be in here. He has an entire purpose for them in their 
Christian walk all their days on this, in this planet. He, he takes action to draw people to himself and then uses those nobodies in his kingdom, in his church for himself. So the, in the case of the church in Corinth, whom did God choose? Here Paul uses an incredible literary technique of contrast to highlight his point of whom did God choose and whom did God not choose. You could actually make two columns here. The column of God chose and the column of God did not choose. Verse 27, God chose what is foolish. He did not choose, it's contrasted with, the wise. Next, verse 27, God chose what is weak. It's contrasted with what God did not choose, the strong. Next, verse 28, 